0: Just to launch this conversation. This
1: is our playground. They have spontaneous conversations. They don't play in this. I mean, there's actually something sort of spiritual about that. What's he do? He's a human being.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a sexist feminist. We should be friends. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters all around the planet. Welcome to the latest edition of the Robin Callie Show here on talkradio.nyc. We are live on Facebook Live, which is really fun as we start ramping up and getting more accustomed to saying hi to you all visually as well as auditorily, even though half of our faces are cut off in our shot right now. But welcome, everybody. When is um,
1: Facebook going to make it to where you can do a side shot? I, huh? I mean, come right, right on. We're just, we're Dude, still get vir- your act together vertical. over there. Forget it. About fake news, people need to see the whole picture, <laughs> and uh, literally, short
0: of Rob and I kind of sitting on each other's laps, we're gonna have to, you know, we're, we're still, we're still working it out over here, That's right. still working it out. That's right. So, um, we want to welcome everybody, our loyal listeners. Um, tonight, we have a really nice smattering of people from all around the globe. We have Russia, Spain, Romania, Germany, Japan, Korea. Um, Cairo, Egypt, um, and uh, a whole variety of places around the United States, including New Jersey, Florida, Massachusetts, and Indiana. So we welcome all of you. It's always exciting to think that we are speaking to our global network, our tapestry, right? It's
1: it's actually so timely because I just came from a meetup group where um, it was about languages and people go to practice languages and so I was wearing the, the flag from Spain to let people know I was practicing Spanish. Oh, nice. So it's talking to a girl who's visiting from Finland, living in Brooklyn, just lived in Australia, speaking Spanish to her, and she's about to head to California. So that was a global conversation.
0: Wow, you're very international. Let me very, tell you something. Very worldly, my dear. Double O Rob. Yeah, yeah. So so I want to acknowledge the summer solstice, which um, I, summer. I still think is tomorrow, but somehow I've had a few solstice wishes today. So happy summer to everybody. It's really probably my one of my top two or three favorite days of the year. Because I have inner paganism in my bones in terms of like the appreciation of the seasons and the planets, and the idea um, specifically for summer solstice is that because it's um, the day that enjoys the longest amount of the, the, the biggest amount of daylight, that it's a good time to sort of shine a light on the things that you want to grow in your life and to kind of meditate and think about that and have a little extra special intention, you know. And plus, I've had the pleasure of. Traveling around the world on um, summer solstices when I was younger and cooler in my bohemian era, my bohemian phase, not that that's gone too far away. Um, but in other countries like England, for what example. What do you mean when you were cooler? <laughs> I mean,
1: come on. I said, well, I said. You me mean when you, know, you, when you were just learning to be cool yes, by being I who was. you were?
0: I just, you know, I, I like to stay in nicer hotels now. It's probably the only difference. <laughs> right, okay. And my meals are maybe a little, little more expensive. But, you know, in certain countries, I keep thinking of England um, and Stonehenge is the most obvious place iconic place for these festivities to go on. But some of the things I've seen, people showing up and really honoring this day. So I just want to give a shout out to the summer solstice.
1: There you go. Happy yeah. summer, y'all. Yeah, I want to go swimming. That's what I want to do. I'm all about swimming, the beach this summer. Oh, boy. Yup. Get your bikini so, out. Y- is that what you wear?
0: I'm <laughs> talking to you.
1: <laughs> I like trunks myself, you know. I got some cool trunks, so... Anyway, um, yeah, so tonight's show, we have a great show. We have such a great guest who is such a good old friend of mine. She's young, but she's an old friend of mine, and I'm so glad to have her on the show. And tonight we're going to be talking about accepting yourself. It's all about acceptance of yourself, whether it's uh, emotionally, physically, intellectually, ethically. uh, ethnically whatever Mm -hmm. your heritage is whatever it happens to be it's all about accepting Mm -hmm. yourself just want to welcome everybody to the show we got got. Jillian who joined welcome Jillian lots of other people thank you so much we're on Facebook live stream we're just getting used to this so it's very cool and um yeah so let's get this show started yeah so Priya welcome to the show so tonight our guest is Kim Chin and Kim is an actor and playwright who is also Asian American. She grew up in Houston, Texas, and her play Reclaiming Vietnam, which I saw, and it's awesome, um, her play Reclaiming Vietnam has been seen in Edinburgh, Scotland, the New York Fringe Festival, and this September it will be shown at the San Francisco Fringe Festival. Nice. The piece has recently been performed at colleges and universities and was seen last month at the New York Asian American Student Conference at NYU. Welcome nice to the God. show, Kim. Welcome, Kim. Oh, my gosh.
0: Let's get oh, you on. Hi. Well, okay, oh. let's get. No, go ahead. You can you, oh, can, huh? you can talk. I'm just going to get you on camera here. Great. Thanks for having me. Wow, this is so exciting. It's so nice so to be here. So
1: great you. to have you here. So Kim and I have known each other for years. We met through mutual friends and Kim has always been a touchstone on my self-growth path. And, you know, my path of sort of (laughs) accepting myself. And one of the early episodes I mentioned, Kim, in fact, one of the first episodes we did, it was called Sensitivity is Sexy. Yeah. And I was talking about in the episode how I've been a crier all my life and I've, I've been ashamed about the fact that I cry and I'm, you know, this straight guy who cries. And I told the story how one time you and I were hanging out with some friends And I was emotional about something going through a tough time. Go figure. Yeah, actually, it was a really tough time. I felt really vulnerable (laughs) talking to everybody about it. And I started crying. And then I told everybody that I was ashamed that I was crying. Mm. I felt embarrassed. And you came up to me when we were all saying goodbye, and you gave me this big hug, and you said, I love your tears. And I've always remembered that. It was so healing to me, Kim, that to this day, it's still a very meaningful story. And it's part of just some healing that you helped me do. So thank you for that.
2: Wow.
0: Thanks, Rob. That's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. That's <laughs> so great. nice. I, I remember that story now that you're mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: Kim is a sensitive soul, Aww. and she's uh, joining the, the playground tonight. And uh, yeah, it's so good to have you here.
2: Oh, that's funny. Should I share a story about when, when I first met you? Sure. Um,
0: sure. Especially if it has some good, you know, salacious juice or some uh, skeleton. It's not another. that Yeah. Salacious. The
1: more embarrassing, the better.
2: <laughs> well, um, so we, we there was like some open mic night. And uh, and I really wanted to sing, and I think Rob really wanted to sing, and so we decided to. We found a song that was like a duet, and then we sang it. We didn't know each other very well, but we sang it in front of each other. I think it was sort of a yeah. love song. It was sort of or a breakup song. <laughs> or it,
1: no, it was the heart of the matter. <laughs> That's right. I was thinking of this because I was thinking you being on the show. Yeah, we yeah. did a great job. We by did. The
2: way. We we totally nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Don
1: Henley would be proud.
2: Yeah. Anyway, that was re- it. Was just so much fun and. Uh, And you were just so, like, easy to hang out with and, like, just sort of, like, tonight you guys are, you know, I don't know, just, I, like, you have good energy, Rob.
1: Thank you so much, Kim. You have good energy. Callie, <laughs> yes, you have good you energy. And you. Sam so is on the board tonight. Yeah,
0: Sam, You also have good has energy. Really good
1: energy. <laughs> we yes. all right. So, <laughs> Sam, no Sam's lacking energy. We're going to try and help him out, but we're all in good energy tonight. And so, again, tonight we're talking about accepting yourself. And, Kim, since you are Asian American and we haven't really addressed race on the show much yeah, we or haven't. really heritage, you know, mm-hmm. Callie and I are Jews. And Sam's a Jew. And we really haven't talked about it much. So maybe you can talk about a little story, you know, background of your life and the arc of your life as far as being raised as an Asian American in America.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, so I'll... um that's a really good question. I'll go back and say, so my dad is from Vietnam. My mom is from Buffalo. She comes from a European, she has a European background. I think she's third generation German, Scotch, Irish, French. And then my dad was born in Vietnam. They met in, um, they met in grad school in Pittsburgh. So, um, so it's funny because when I was growing up, I mainly grew up in neighborhoods, or f- communities that were primarily white. And I didn't have, um, I just didn't, I didn't have a lot of exposure to like a more international community except for the people who like lived with us, or my cousins mm-hmm. who were refugees from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was this feeling, and I think a lot of, I, I know I'm, I'm not alone in this, but just when you grow up, with uh, a lot of media images, dolls, uh, my barbies, my um my favorite TV characters, you know, everybody's white. And um so there's this disconnect like I I'm surrounded by images of white people, white women, men, children, baby dolls, but when I look in the mirror, I, I don't fit this. Mm-hmm. I don't fit this aesthetic and it, it's disturbing. It's disturbing as as a kid. You're like why don't I look like this little this little baby doll who's mm. supposed to be my baby? Why does it have blonde hair and
0: blue eyes? Mm-hmm. and um, did you broach that with your family? Did you talk about it inside your house? Never, not at all.
2: it, it was just didn't come up n- it never came up. Mm-hmm. I don't even. I remember uh, one of my <laughs> one. Of, remember when Cabbage Patch dolls were so popular? Yeah, yeah. So I remember one of my good friends. I was about seven years old. I went o- over to her house and she she said, "You have to come over. I have one of these coveted <laughs> creatures. I have a Cabbage Patch, and you know you have to come over and see it." And so I went over. and We had a slumber party, and she brought it out, and it was an African American Cabbage Patch kid. And she was like, "Look how cute it is! It's the it's the cutest one they had." And I thought like what? That's not like fair. That, that it, it's not that, it's not the cutest one. You know, you're white. You're supposed to have a white baby. Right, so right. It, was, it was really amazing to me. Like it blew my mind mm. that she thought that was cute because mm. I definitely had like the opposite reaction. Mm-hmm.
1: You're like, hello, Cabbage Patch Central. Yeah, what happened to the Asian kids? Yeah, like, sorry. did they get lost or something?
2: I th- I think maybe now
0: they have them. I think they did come out with an Asian version. Good. I Good. W- well, that's the other thing too. I mean, just to fa- to flash forward because these topics and these hot buttons have been so pervasive for so long. You know, minority life in in America. Um, On all these levels, whether it's Barbie dolls or pop culture or whatever it is. And so the idea that even you still grew up and, you know, you're a young woman, but that recently you still experience this is really a huge statement. Yeah, you know about where we are, where we are. Yeah, and how far we've come or how far we haven't come. Right, you know. Mm. And also,
1: how challenging to grow up where you couldn't even express that or you you just didn't have the ability to express that about the confusion, like hey, like where are you in the world? You know. Yeah,
2: and it's funny because it's not even confusion. It's just like, oh, I see. I don't belong. There's mm. no there's no place for me. Or You know, until I, I remember very vividly, I was talking about uh, this to a friend recently. I remember very vividly in junior high school, all of my friends were, um, most of my friends had just like light hair, freckles, red hair, blonde hair, whatever. And, um, and like uh, the boys had crushes on them and I felt like nobody Mm -hmm. had had crushes on me and I felt so jealous. And I remember thinking to myself, if only my mom had married a white guy, then I wouldn't have like dark skin i wouldn't be brown i wouldn't have this wide nose i wouldn't i would have i would probably have blue eyes i would be i would feel beautiful i would feel like i fit in and Mm. i hated i really i grew up with like a real like self-hatred because i didn't like the body that i lived in Mm -hmm.
0: so what does that do when you're a teenage girl or like a blossoming young woman you know for your to your self-esteem and just the your ability to socialize and adjust and Grow up. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that it forces you to do anything, anything and everything to fit in in all the ways that you can. You don't want to stand out as an individual. You want to conform absolutely as much as possible. If all the popular people are wearing this and I need to wear designer jeans, if they're doing this and, you know, joining the soccer team, then I need to do that. It was it was real. It was about not not self defer differentiating really mm-hmm. just like trying to be the same and fit in as much as possible mm.
1: Mm. yeah yeah well I'm sure there are challenges and so we're going to talk more about that I want you to know you have the cutest great nose so
0: oh I, th- I like you're your beautiful nose. Yeah, you
1: are beautiful hopefully this <laughs> so, is not a
0: thing of the past but we're going to get to all that <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so we're going to talk about more challenges being Asian American in America and also challenges that Cal and I will talk about when we get right back Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of the Robin Callie Show. We're always pushing the envelope on this show, people. I want to welcome Terry, Lisa, Michael. Thank you so much for joining the Facebook live stream and everybody around the world. We get a bunch mm-hmm. of countries, continents represented tonight, yes. so it's really great. Tonight we're talking about accepting yourself, whatever your challenges with yourself. It's all about self-acceptance and tonight we have Kim Chin on our show is a good friend of mine and she's talking about being Vietnamese American in America and some of the challenges of that and before we went to break Kim, we were talking about some of the challenges you had growing up and you know maybe even some of the challenges you have now about being an Asian American in America
2: Mm, cool yeah. so I was um I wanted to also mention that because I was growing up at a time when, so the Vietnam War had shortly had mm. e- just ended, and my um, my family sponsored a lot of people, especially my dad's brothers' children and, and other cousins, and and even people who ne- weren't necessarily part of our family but had grown up in the same village as my father mm. or my cousins. You know, they were sort of all treated as family. So we had a lot of people in our home, and it was um, it was kind of chaotic, but. Um, And it was also exciting, there were Mm. always people, uh, every night at dinner there were like 20 to 30 people sitting around the table, it was huge.
0: Um, but I can
1: you pass the potatoes? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna take a little while. <laughs> but
0: that's so beautiful that you know that just the idea that family is family regardless, irregardless of blood or whatever, just because of the common experience. You know, it's pretty magical. Yeah. that they did that. Yeah,
2: right. And my dad converted our house into like the attic became like a huge bedroom, and mm. he made bedrooms in the basement. And so we just there were a lot. There was a lot of. S- there wasn't a lot of space, but we made space we wow. you, know, you just make room. Uh, and on Sundays they would do mass. They would put chairs in the living room and they would like recite in Vietnamese, you know, um, hail Mary, like a hundred times or however many times you're supposed to say it on the rosary. Oh no, Oh no, they're going to know. I don't no know judgment. Hundreds. Don't worry. Right, right. Um, and, and at the same time, uh, you know, at school we were the only, there was one other Vietnamese family that I remember. And other than that, there were no other Asians. And, Um, And I felt I started to feel like, oh, I'm different. Oh, this is kind of weird. And these people have a funny accent. They have weird haircuts. They they you know, they smell funny. They dress funny. They're not like as you get a little bit older. I was probably like, you know, five and then six and starting to realize like, oh, wow, I'm like they're making me different. I'm not fitting in because everyone knows, Oh, that's the house with all the Asian people. People at school would start to say, like, hey, are those are those guys related to you? Are those kids you know, do you know them? I would say, well, I mean, I walked home with them. It was like, yeah, these are my cousins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a cu- I used to do that when I illegally subletted apartments. <laughs> this is my cousin Maria. You know, always it was always somebody's cousin. That's like the standard New York City, you know, kind of code uh, when you're when you're breaking the rules for subletting apartments. Everybody's your cousin. You know, right? Did you so di- so to that point then? Um, you didn't feel any sort of similarity, given that you know what you had just said about feeling different before you. Um, all these people were introduced to your life. Given the sort of homogenized um, white existence you lived in before that point, did it did it soften it when all these people showed up? Or
2: oh well, um, I mean, I, I was pretty young when they started showing up. I was about four, so I didn't have <coughs> much of it. I didn't really think about it too much. But I, th- it was once I got to school and I realized that people were looking at me differently that I started to resent it. Mm. So even though like there were a lot of great things about the culture and the food and i didn't appreciate any of those things i didn't want to i didn't want to learn the songs that they knew because i didn't i mean i if i was around them it was fine but i didn't want i didn't want to sing them around other yeah. people it was like something that i felt needed to be sort of a secret yeah and even when i um, when i i think when we moved to houston I remember hearing the word or the phrase FOB and people saying, oh, that that refers to fresh off the boat. That means if you're an FOB, they would say it. They would specifically point out kids who had really strong accents and it was always Asians. Mm. And and it was it was like a very derogatory term. Mm. Mm. And so that made me feel even more like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be associated with those people. Mm. Yeah.
1: So you grow up and you have these inner challenges and sort of judging yourself, maybe having some prejudice against yourself or you know your background. Do you remember, and maybe, I know we're going to get to Reclaiming Vietnam and your whole journey with that show and how that helped you accept yourself, but do you remember where there was a turning point in your life where one day you were like, fuck this, Like I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm Vietnamese or something. Do you remember that?
2: Well, I mean, it was much, much later. Um, at one point, I was just talking about this with... A friend recently, but when I first moved to New York, I had a boyfriend, and he it was the funniest thing. He would say stuff like, Wow, your tan looks great! Oh my gosh, your skin's <laughs> getting so dark. Um, you know, in Vietnamese culture, it's like, Don't get a tan no matter what, like, keep your skin light and pale because that's a sign of education and, um, you know, elevation. Yeah, mm. similar mm. in the,
0: in the African American culture, too. Mm. So, a lot oh, of those very, sort of layers, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's very strong. So, um so at that point um uh, re- and he would say things about other like african american women and saying how beautiful their afros were and how beautiful their skin was and um he just he was uh, that was the first time i'd ever experienced um someone being so like happy and like i guess cel- celebratory about mm-hmm. someone's dark skin tone i'd only mm-hmm. heard of it especially growing up in texas only heard of it in like very derogatory terms mm-hmm. so that was sort of an epiphany like what this could be beautiful to some people whoa mm-hmm. so that was like just a sort of a, 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 a little bit of a turning point point. and then it really wasn't until i decided to go to vietnam or actually until I was in Vietnam, I I actually was planning on going to Ecuador or Mexico. I had a little bit of time off from, I was in between jobs and I had some money saved. And so I was researching, I was researching uh, like study abroad or volunteer programs in Ecuador. And I was talking to this woman. She was kind of a therapist at the time she was like, oh, oh, you're going to go learn Spanish? Oh, you're going to learn about Mexican culture or Central American culture? How interesting. You know nothing about your own culture. Oh. And here you are. You don't know your own language. You don't know your own people. You don't know anything about it. And here you are. You're going to learn something. Something. You're going to go and learn stuff that has nothing to do with you and your heritage.
0: Wow. Because mm. so, like, oh. you had no desire? No. There was no relationship, still no, no resonance whatsoever.
2: No. I, I mean, mm. I, I had seen... Terrible. <laughs> they had made us watch like a month's worth of footage from the Vietnam War when I was oh, in wow. high school. It okay. was so traumatic. I thought, I'm never going there. I just imagined just a war-torn country with mm. people, you know, crawling around with no limbs. And uh, honestly, that's that's what I expected. Mm-hmm. You know, just beat up buildings and ruins. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it as ruins. And all the, everything you see that has to do with Vietnam, it's like platoon and... Mm the most horrific war stories. Mm -hmm. So I had no desire to go and my dad didn't really, he had sort of expressed wanting us to learn Vietnamese when we were younger, but kind of gave it up and he didn't have much of, he didn't have any hope that they would go back. It's, uh, it's interesting because they named me Kim, my parents, because they assumed that, uh, so I was born in 75. They assumed that the Americans were going to win the war and that they would, my mom and dad were going to go back and be part of the, like rebuilding because mm. my they they were both my mom taught English, and they figured they would go back and buy a little farm and raise their children. So, my name's Kim, so that like I could to assimilate. Yeah, you know, while you were there, mm. and then and then you know sor- shortly after I was born, right after, I think the the fall of saigon was in april 75
0: i was born a few months later mm. Mm. and my brothers are named daniel and david wow <laughs> <laughs> so interesting so really directly tied to what was happening you know as as you're watching history unfolding yeah, yeah. It's reflected yeah. in the names or how yeah. yeah how american westernized i should say your names are or not that's so totally. that's interesting mm-hmm. i haven't heard that before yeah. So
1: so your therapist kind of puts you on the spot, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll learn a little about my heritage, and you decide to go there, and what happened when you went there? Yeah,
2: so I, um, I, I Googled volunteer programs in Vietnam, and it turns out there was this great, it just looked so nice. It was volunteering in orphanages with these little kids, and I thought, wow, and it was actually very cheap. The, the plane fare was expensive, but I thought, oh, gosh, maybe she's right. Maybe I should learn a little bit about my own culture and I was so scared I was really afraid of what I would find I I
0: don't I was just it just seems so much easier to go to Central America or South America what were you what were you afraid that you were going to find separate from was it more about what you were going to find internally or what like unlocking maybe um things that you didn't know you connected with, with with your own culture or what you'd actually physically see Based on what had just happened there,
2: I think more it was about feeling guilty about the war and, and taking with me the fact, like, oh my God, I'm American and I've I've done this. Or there's a part of me that's like I was the one, almost as if I was the one that that dropped the bombs and that people would go, they were going to hate me, mm. that they would throw rocks at me and tell me to go back, that um, I would just see such pain and poverty and devastation that I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Wow, oh. those mm.
0: are sort of what oh. I was thinking, mm. so you really were stuck between I mean what I'm hearing is sort of stuck in no man's land between like who you connected with, sort of neither fish nor fowl as my father would say, right, I mean, that's what i'm that's what I'm hearing. I'd rather you know hear it from you, but you know, not really feeling fully connected with American culture and certainly not doesn't sound like you're accepting or there was a little bit of self self loathing about uh, your Vietnamese culture, yeah absolutely did, how do you what do you do with that when you're a teenager or a young adult
2: I mean you just try to deny it you just for, pretend like it doesn't exist you pretend you know that you look like everyone else and then you try not to look in the mirror when you do it's just like mm. hate, like self mm. self-loathing words of like you're ugly you're terrible you suck mm. um, yeah actually you know avoiding the you're mirror
1: beautiful I you're did. great yeah. you're awesome <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's okay.
1: what I have to say to all that.
0: Yeah. yeah, And also, I mean, on some level, it it sounds like and this is not to minimize your experience, because clearly it's a very specific and important experience. But there's also a part of me that just as a young girl connects with it because you know you go through obviously the insecurities that a lot of kids do as they're growing up you know there's the idea of even you know when I was younger I wanted to fit in I wasn't a cheerleader I wasn't a blonde haired blue I was a little Jewish girl in a town that didn't have a lot of Jews my minority was not worn out on my sleeve so I can't compare it to you know your story Um, but I you know I didn't have enough of a working knowledge of my own culture and yet I was often being asked to explain like why are you gone for this Jewish holiday and what does that mean in the process what I was trying to do is get my mom to buy me like the same jeans that everybody had and sort of you know merge with all the, the cool kids and it never I never was successful at it so that kind of formed in me sort of a misfit kind of outlier thing you know so there's and I can only imagine then when you have your story it just exacerbates all of that you know totally yeah, yeah
2: it is probably very uh, just sort of a teenage angst not fitting in
0: yeah yeah kind of. Plus then, but that's a big story. Yeah, I
1: didn't understand why all the other guys didn't have dreidels. I'm like, what, <laughs> what you didn't bring your dreidels? Like, what, what's wrong with you? And they're like, what's a dreidel? So, I love that you didn't know.
0: Yeah, no, I had challenges
1: I had challenges being Jewish myself and just experiencing Jews when I was a kid.
0: You're just talking about J-Date, but that's a whole other.
1: Well, that, that that came later, and that was a whole other prejudice <laughs> against Jews. No, so it's like, you know, and when I say that I grew up Jewish, I, I, I don't necessarily mean the religious. Although we did go to temple on the high holy days and stuff. And I did get bar mitzvah and stuff because I'm more spiritual. I think I've always been more spiritual, but I do like the culture, the potato pancakes, the Yiddish stuff like that, you know. Um, But I had my own challenges being Jewish and not having a lot of Jews around. And if there were Jews around, maybe they weren't the nicest Jews and a little superficial for me. And, um, you know, now I have. A lot of Jewish friends. I, I even have Jewish friends. No, but I have a lot of Jewish friends, and they're really menschy. They're down to earth people like me. And I've learned to kind of colorize my heritage instead of being prejudiced against it or seeing it as black and white that you know all Jews are standoffish or materialistic or whatever. I experience with certain people. I'm going to find that with any group of people. So I, I think it's all about that that journey that we're all on to accept ourselves. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Kim's going to continue her story that eventually led to her awesome play, Reclaiming Vietnam. We'll be right back.
0: And welcome back everybody to the Robin Callie Show here on TalkRadio.nyc. NYC, and we are also streaming live on Facebook Live, which is so fun to say because it just makes me feel cool. So we'd like to welcome um, Jody, Hayan, Allie. Woo-hoo. Welcome to the show. I know we also have someone in Guatemala City who's just joined us on the TalkRadio.nyc NYC stream. Hola, so.
1: bienvenidos. Oh, and someone thinks
0: <laughs> someone's feeling real cocky about oh, their Spanish. Yo today.
1: necesito practicar más. Sí,
0: es <laughs> yo muy necesario. Yeah. I <laughs> But I digress. <laughs> so we're here with Rob's very Callie's dear friend. Just <laughs>
1: She's like, Rob, will you teach me how to speak Spanish?
0: Uh, you haven't heard my Spanish. Okay. Oh. All right. So I'm gonna really, I'm oh. gonna, I'm gonna surprise. The next you. show
1: we're gonna do all in Spanish. Oh uh, yeah,
0: gonna we're gonna, you. we're gonna lose all our Spanish listeners. Yeah. So
1: did you hear Spanish? Did you hear listeners. those white
0: people try to speak Spanish <laughs> exactly. the whole show? Yeah. Really. Nah. Yeah, just yeah, put on so a rerun. So yeah. So we're here with Rob's very dear friend Kim Chin, who is a playwright, an actor, and happens to be an Asian American. <laughs> um, we are talking. Talking about um, being a minority in America, what it means to find a place of self-acceptance um, when you're growing up. Kim has a pretty remarkable story we were in the middle of. Um, if anybody would like to join us, you can call us at 877-480-4120. Or please feel free to share any comments or questions you might have via facebook live
1: that's right because we've entered the 21st century
0: we have i know we're we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this for a while yeah we're very impressed we're like okay (laughs) enough about us so um so kim before the break um what we had started to rob had mentioned your uh, we were talking about sort of the concept of self-loathing right and how there's a part of it that's um that's that's common to a lot of kids as they're growing up just because it's what happens irregardless of your, um, you know, your upbringing or your, um, minority status, but then it gets exacerbated when you don't feel like you're here nor there and you don't have anybody to really like, you know, to connect with. Right. So how long, d- when did you break out of that? Was there like, I know, I think i um, Rob started to ask you that earlier. Was there like a moment, um, beyond the story you shared earlier where you recognized that maybe you felt differently about yourself or you were capable of feeling differently about yourself?
2: Yeah. Well, it was a very specific moment and I think, um, it was really going to Vietnam. And the the most remarkable thing was the, the moment I set foot on Vietnamese soil. Mm. It was like I it was almost like I was hearing voices and they were saying, welcome, you're back. You're, you're back. We're so happy you're back. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> but it just it just was like a mantra over and over again. Like, thank you for coming. Wow. We're so happy you're here. Mm. Like, this is like we've been waiting. That's it was the mm. weirdest thing. And wow. I, I don't feel like I'm. Uh, that type of person that's very, you know, I, I don't really, I'm, I'm not, I, I meditate and I, I work on prayer, but I don't actually, you know, um I don't feel that I'm so, um, connected in that way. But, it, but when I was in Vietnam, it was like constantly the like waves of of like welcome and we're so happy mm-hmm. and thank you and and you're back and it was almost like there were all these ancestors. It felt like there were mm-hmm. ancestors that were like. You're here. Yes, you're here. That's Some awesome. very important piece had dropped into place. It was the most remarkable thing.
1: Mm. Yeah. It was magical. almost like a spiritual shift. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: then to look around and and to just every person I saw on the street, I was like, Oh, wow, this is where I'm from. These these are the people that, that, like, these are my people. These are my people. And I was with, I, I was doing this program with a couple other volunteers, another American, she was white, and then uh, two New Zealanders and an Australian woman, they were all white. And um, I always got the Vietnamese price at the market. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on the And everybody wanted <laughs> to hang with you. <laughs> now everybody's down with Kim all of a sudden. Right.
2: So all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, this is really fun that I that they accept me as one of them, mm. that I belong. Mm. And and people would say, you know, when I lived in I lived in France for a year in college and people would say, You don't look you don't look American at all. You don't look white at all. You look totally Asian and I would get so mad. And then when I was in Vietnam people would say, You don't look white at all. You look totally Asian and, and I would be like, Yes, thank you. <laughs> I look <laughs> like Sue <laughs> <you."> because <laughs> 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 they were saying you look like us. Mm-hmm. You know, in France, they were saying you don't look like us and I I felt like I belonged. Yeah. Mm. So that was, and also I was working at an orphanage, a couple, two orphanages and those kids were amazing mm, yeah. and just seeing their little faces and being able to learn Vietnamese through them. Cause I'd never really learned it. I had a good accent though because I'd grown up hearing it, but um, those little kids, they were just so endearing. Mm. It, it just, it made me appreciate my own childhood, like my my inner child, and it made me appreciate the culture, and and then everything that I loved about that country, it was like, that's me, this is me, I love that the people are so Kind. I love that they're so generous. I love that they don't hold a grudge. I love that they welcome me, even though they know I'm American. Hmm. And so all of the positive things about the country, it was just like constant feedback. Like, I'm a good
0: person. I'm a good oh person. Wow. Mm. A, that is that's, so awesome. I know, that's amazing. I mean, that's so magical to have that kind of an instantaneous revelation like that. Yeah. And all the time that you spent depriving yourself, not that you were old enough to travel alone, but, you know, depriving yourself of that opportunity to connect like that Mm -hmm. until you got there. That's magical. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. That is,
1: yeah, it's such a life changing (laughs) event. So your show reclaiming Vietnam, which I've seen, it's fantastic. It is so awesome. And I'm so proud of you for doing this one woman show for anyone who hasn't seen this, is it online at all or you're still just doing it live?
2: Um, Mostly live, yeah.
1: Okay, so eventually, hopefully this is gonna get to Broadway or at least off-Broadway. It's an incredible journey that Kim takes everybody on going from the States and going back to Vietnam and her experiences working at the orphanage. There's a part of the show that you talk about, you broke your arm and they didn't reset it right or they didn't set it right. And then you make an analogy about the bones not growing perfectly, but they still grew fine or something. Can you talk about that? Do you you remember that part of the show?
2: Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah, yeah, because
1: you wrote it. Yeah, (laughs) That comes in handy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I I actually, so within three days of being in Vietnam, I was with a friend who recommended, actually, it's so funny, I'm going to see this friend for the first time since Vietnam. I'm going to see him this weekend at a wedding. Um, But he had insisted that we rent motorbikes i didn't really know how to drive one he sort of showed me the ropes i didn't really learn and i crashed the moped it was not a motorbike it was a moped like a little stupid little motorbike and i um i broke i crashed it i broke my hand i'm really lucky i didn't break my head because i couldn't figure out where the brake was i just panicked and i started speeding up instead of slowing down i just crashed into a curb i like flipped over the bike landed on top of me anyway i um so i broke my hand and they put it in a cast luckily I spoke French because uh, Mm -hmm. the doctors only I didn't they don't speak English they speak Vietnamese and French and um and when I had it so I was in Vietnam going to these orphanages with this stupid cast and then when I went back to the doctor six weeks later because I spent two months a little over two months in Vietnam um just exactly the amount of time that I had that hard cast on and when I went back it was still broken so um so the part of the show, uh, you know, I, I say, like, yeah, once a bone is broken, it's never the same. It's never the same, but it's started to heal. Not exactly in the right place, but there's already been a lot of healing. And the bone will grow stronger as you continue to use it. You know, someday you won't even notice. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's definitely an analogy for, for feeling broken, You know for being for feeling um like broken and 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 then sort of becoming whole again and and knowing that you know regardless of how of how broken you feel that as you move forward like time time heals the wounds and and awareness of of our I guess of our past really helps us to to accept ourselves and love ourselves and And so um, when I first broke the hand, I just was so angry all the time. And it was almost like this bone broke and there was like anger pouring out of it. I just felt constant anger and constant this feeling. The the feeling of not belonging and not being whole just came up like a hundred times stronger than it ever had in my life. So Uh, I really had to sit with that for for quite a long time because even when I came back to the States and had it checked out by a, a specialist, he was like, there's really... There's really nothing we can do. It's it's already started to heal, not in the right place, but it's it, There's no reason to go back, break it, put your hand in a cage. Have have you have all this scar tissue? You won't be able to use it. You're not gonna be able to work. I wasn't working at the time. I had no health insurance. So he was like, you know what, Kim? It's gonna be fine. Just keep going. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had to really sit with that. You know that that anger and that that just fear of not fitting in, not being not being whole and and also um what i thought of it as it was as i was healing it was you know vietnam is a country with so many wounds and so much suffering and the people have just endured so much. And the fact that I have this tiny broken, oh, this little broken bone, yeah. like this is my, this is like my war. Mm-hmm. Ba- this is my battle scar. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I, I like claim yeah. my heritage.
0: And, yeah. and that you did it there. Yeah. That you broke it there <laughs> in your country. <laughs> yeah.
1: And also you're one of the strongest women or people I know. So mm-hmm. it definitely is an analogy for who you are.
0: Thanks, Ron. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. So what happens when you come back from... A trip like that and you have these revelations and all this magic happens you come back to the states and what do you um, how does that inform your life do things start to shift or did it take a while
2: Mm, I think right away when I came back so in the past people had always asked me oh, have you been to Viet? Oh, you're half Vietnamese? That's amazing. Have you been there? Oh, I've been there. It's am- like they would always say, I've been there. It's beautiful. <laughs> the food is so good. The people are so wonderful. And I would say like, yeah, whatever. Leave me alone. Like, no, I haven't <laughs> been there and I don't really care to go. And great. I'm glad you like the food. And now get out, get out of my face. You know. Yeah. So when I came back and I would say, um, you know, I was in Vietnam for two months. People would say, oh my gosh, what did you think? And I would just say, it was amazing. I loved it. It was so wonderful. And then when people would say, oh, have you ever been there? I would say, yes, I have. And <laughs> it's amazing. And I had so much pride that I had been there. Yeah. And I started to look at myself in a new way. And it wasn't instantly, but definitely over the course of like a year or two years, I just felt like oh yeah I'm Vietnamese and I'd never really said that to myself Mm. on on those you know checklists that you'd fill out when you're I don't know immigration or college I would always put other or I would check white because I would say well I want to be I want to be thought of as white because that's the better race that's the more like that's the hey who are we kidding that's the elite race I want to be one of the elite thank goodness I can claim that because my mom Mm. you know I, I never wanted to say that I was Asian or Vietnamese so that that changed when I came back I was Mm. really it became something I was really proud of
1: It's almost like I guess it's just an example for anyone who's avoiding a part of themselves, whatever it is, whatever part they're ashamed of or they don't want to face. And then once they face it, they find that they just feel more of who they are, whether it's more peace of mind, whether it's more self-acceptance or in your case, joy. It sounds like that trip brought you so much joy to just experience the homeland that your dad came from. And that's also a part of you.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: cool (laughs) so with that uh, we're going to go to break when we come back we'll have some takeaways we're going to talk more about uh, Kim's show and thank you so much for watching and thank you so much for listening we'll be right back
0: And welcome back, everybody, to our final quarter of this edition of The Robin Callie Show here on talkradio.nyc. We're also live streaming on Facebook Live. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Welcome, John. Welcome, Amy. Welcome, Carly. It's so fun. You to sound have like everybody.
1: romper room. <laughs> and I want to thank Carly. And I want to thank Michael. I lived for that oh show. Oh my God. Wonder I loved Rama, that show. When hey, I was a kid, let's, let's Kim, did, You didn't have romper room in I, Texas. I, did you?
2: <laughs> we did. Uh, I do remember. It was romper Room, it was but, but I can't remember. I was
1: okay. I yeah, wasn't sure okay. it was local. I think yeah. It might be
0: more that she's, she might be too young for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what we're trying to <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah. It's not a geographical thing. It's an age thing. That's right. Um, so we're here with Rob's very dear friend, Kim Chin. Uh, we're talking about, um, Race in America, at least um, Kim's experience being um, Asian-American growing up here and not um, and finding an identity or lack thereof when you were a younger girl and then um, going to finally find yourself in Vietnam um, in Vietnam in a way that you hadn't expected. You know, one of the things I wanted to touch on, especially because this is our um, our final quarter before we talk more about your show is, you know, we're talking about self-acceptance and we all have our versions of some sort of self-loathing or sort of, a you know, um, displaced identity. I'd be curious to hear what you have to say to people, regardless of what version of that they're experiencing, whether it's a, um, you know, a cultural issue or just a personal issue. What do you, you know, what do you suggest to people when it comes to sort of (coughs) finding your place, finding your people, finding your home? Because it's really an internal thing, ultimately. Yeah. Even if it's sparked by an external Experience, right,
2: right, and and I I think that I used to think <coughs> it shouldn't matter. I should be seen for the human being that I am, and regardless of what I look like. It should we should all just be colorblind and and uh, totally accepting, unconditionally. And um, and I, what I learned is that you know who we what we look like it, it it does represent a big portion of who we are, and our ancestry is important, our ethnicity, our cultures. Like these are things that that really enrich everyone's life yeah. so it is um even though i i in some ways i think it i i feel like we should just not worry about any of of how people look but but i think for me it was really important to um it, it was really important to to go back to my roots and it sounds very cliche but i i really i guess um for all people you know okay i'll just uh, i'll just uh, illustrate something i was (laughs) so i was recently um I, i do this online dating thing and there was a fellow who was obviously indian he had very dark skin and like very very good looking guy and it said um under his ethnicity it said white and Hmm. And I maybe it was a typo. <laughs> yeah, I, I texted him and I just said, "Hey, um I see that you like hi. I'm Kim. I like your profile. <laughs> yeah, and I see that you wrote. You know, I see that you re- wrote white. And I was just, you know, maybe this sounds really racist of me, but I just wanted to ask you, you know, um why is that? Or you know, do you not identify as as Asian or Indian? And and he was and he wrote back this. Re- his his response was like, "Yes, you're a racist." my like my mom is white or something or my dad is white and i don't identify as indian you know and have a nice day and Mm. and i just felt like you know i remember i mean i was like that for so much of my life but i felt that he was really missing out on something i Mm. felt that by not embracing and and just not accepting like you know who who he was that i i was like that person on the other side saying like oh but it's really cool right you know why not why not talk about it um you know maybe he just had really dark skin and you know maybe he was really sick of people saying that but (laughs) i don't
1: know i had the same problem in online dating i would check small nose and people were like, uh, <laughs> "Your nose is not small. You got a big nose, dude." And so I, I gained self Are acceptance for my nose, I and, think that's and what now I'm proud of my nose. I got a big, great nose.
2: <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, what we see, it's it's more important than we want to let. Uh, the, we, in an ideal world, when we're all when the aliens come and we all they they make us all the same, and we're you know then yeah, then wrong. our souls will really shine through. But In this moment you know while we still have these human bodies i think Mm -hmm. what we look like is is a big part of who we are yeah
1: so what's it like for you nowadays being asian american in america
2: well and go (laughs) yeah (laughs) for me being asian american just a minor um, question i'm asian american just kidding (laughs) um i it's it's a white person's world it's still a white person's world i'm Mm -hmm. i think i'm extremely lucky to live in new york city where i feel like i belong you belong everybody belongs everyone here fits you know and i that's not that's that doesn't happen everywhere else in fact very few other places i think people feel like they fit in as much as new york city um so I'm I'm lucky to live here. I'm lucky to live in a place where we can talk about it, you know, mm. where I'm um, like you. You even have a show where you you consider it important
0: enough to have it as a topic. Um, we waited a while. <laughs> well, we did, you know, <laughs> maybe be, at least I can speak for myself, maybe because I never know if I as a white woman in America, I don't know that I can do it the kind of justice that you know that maybe somebody else can so we kind of tippy-toed around it a little bit
1: and the great thing about our show is that we come up with topics organically we're oh i saw kim a couple weeks ago yeah we should have her on the show what are you gonna talk about oh she's asian american we haven't talked about race it's like that's the kind of show we have yeah we just dovetail one episode to another sometimes
0: but you know there's something that you said though that's just it's just sort of hitting me now maybe one of the answers and again like it's such a Politically and culturally um, and socioeconomically charged country and world right now, you know, it's it's tricky and political correctness on some levels has, you know, gone to a whole new place. Maybe at the expense of us remembering to identify with our differentness and just remembering that we can, it sounds very trite, but that... Um, you know there's something to be said for embracing who you are and what your culture is and then also living peacefully and curiously and lovingly cohabitating with somebody who's different right next door yeah. you know rather than trying to homogenize things or 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 the other extreme which is being too nationalistic and only staying with your own kind or living with your own you know t- you know your own tribe and your own neighborhood mm-hmm. you know maybe there is some middle ground that we can do a better job of you know, I mean, the way you, you just sort of characterize that, you know, the idea of really um, suggesting that maybe we all get in touch with our culture a little bit more. Like, I think, you know, for me, again, and, and also for Rob, the closest I can relate to this is being Jewish. You know, that's right. where my minority blood is. And I'm not a um, I'm not very self-aware as a Jewish person culturally in my soul. But sometimes I was in a conversation very recently with um, a group of people um, that were Israelis and a few very Zionistic Jews. And I and I told them, I said, I don't even know how I can participate in this conversation because of my lack of experience or lack of resonance. And I want to. So even this conversation is making me realize maybe I need to, to, you know, to dig a little bit deeper. So thank you for that. Mm, You know, that's nice. Yeah. Doesn't mean yeah. I'm still not going to crash every Christmas dinner that I can find. <laughs> Just want to <laughs> be clear about that.
1: That's right. So I was thinking maybe you could talk because one of the the things that really touched <laughs> me that you talked about in this episode was not being able to look in the mirror which I think is one of the most important things for human beings to be able to do. Because if I can't look at myself in the mirror, I'm not going to be able to really feel good about myself, but also look at anyone else, like really see them as well. Yeah,
0: figuratively and literally. Yeah, Mm.
1: I mean, the mirror, actually, it sounds so corny, I know, but it's true. It's such a powerful thing in life, and we're all like mirrors to each other. So that being said, maybe you can talk to... A 12-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who is of a different ethnicity than being white or has any challenge looking in the mirror what what advice would you give to her
0: wow
2: that's so beautiful rob um i think mm, mm, if i if i could say anything to that 12-year-old girl who doesn't necessarily you know i I think maybe this is a, a women's issue but no matter what you look like you know if you're if you're, um, blonde, blue, blue eyed, all these things, I, I don't necessarily think that (coughs) any 12 year old girl, excuse me, I'm going to clear my throat. (coughs) I don't think that any 12 year old girl really feels worthy or beautiful. Um, I think all of us, I mean, as women, it's just so difficult because we're bombarded by images of what beauty is supposed to be. And uh, I think, um, (laughs) corporate <laughs> corporate America or the media um, commercialism really thrives off of people having low self-esteem and women do more of the shopping and in most of the world so appealing to a woman's need to fit in is is really like the job of a lot of media um, ads and movies and songs and I think just um, I, I read this great quote a couple of years ago it's not exact but it's something like, um, self-love, like a woman loving her body is the first step towards real revolution. Mm. And I think that's right absolutely true because we're constantly told not to love ourselves, that we're not enough, that we don't look the part, that we're, you know, we just, we need to be different. We, we're not enough. We need more <coughs> embellishment or surgery or higher heels, you know, whatever. It's just to be able to... <coughs> for a young woman to be able to look in the mirror and say i'm owning this i'm amazing i'm beautiful i'm wonderful it doesn't matter what i see around me it doesn't matter what other people say i i'm owning this i'm beautiful i love myself and i'm that like that's an act of rebellion mm. i'm going to do this and and to, and
0: to awesome. find the piece that's different uh, you know that's that's unique unto all of us because there's something that we're all here on this planet to do that no one else can emulate You know, and I think that that helps to just sort of grow that inner beauty, you know, sort of fake it till you make it till you really find yourself being more self-accepting.
1: Yeah, right on. So we're getting to the end of the show quickly. Where can people find out more about Reclaiming Vietnam?
2: Yeah. So I have a website, www.reclaimingvietnam.com. You can also find um, I have a Facebook page, Reclaiming Vietnam. I have um, my twitter handle is at kim b as in barbara chin at kim b chin and you can hashtag reclaiming vietnam to find out more about it um also san francisco fringe if you go to their website you'll see um i have four shows that are coming up in september uh, so i think yeah yes. that's it that's
1: i great. want to see the show yeah it's awesome yeah
0: i look forward to it
1: thank you so much thank for you, being kim. a guest on our show kim. thank you guys. so good so to, nice to have you on this is amazing and we want to
0: just here let me get that for you get that <laughs>
1: straight. thank you everybody for watching on facebook live thank you for listening so much we really appreciate it take care y'all
0: thank you bye